So last week we talked about silence. Today we're going to practice it. Ready, go. Um, just a review from last week. Oh, Mary's sign languaging to me. What does that mean? I am a buffoon. Thank you. God bless you too. But we're talking, though. That's not silence. That's just not talking. Not talking and silence are not the same thing, right? We we talked about last night. Silence is about practicing the presence of God. So when you are silent, you are anticipatory in that you're going to receive. So it's like this morning's prayer, I prepare a sacrifice before you and wait. So there is this expectation involved in silence. But before that, anyways, I don't want to rehash that. The thing is, is that what we talked about last week is that prayer is first and fundamentally about listening. So God started a conversation at the beginning of time between God and man. And prayer is engaging in that conversation. So like any other conversation that you have in your normal life, really needs to be applied as we talk to and with God. So you don't enter into conversation talking because people will consider you rude. Very simple. You don't come into an A and B conversation as the letter C, thinking that now this conversation will be about what I want to talk about. You enter into that conversation humbly. So you keep your mouth shut, and then you sit there and you listen, and you say, hmm, what are these people talking about? Now today, we are going to talk about the decision process, whether you want to join in that conversation Um, So silence rolls into listening. Listening now will roll into meditating. And when I say meditating, I just mean what it it means. Thinking about this. Thinking. Thinking about whatever is being said. That's what meditating is. Um, And then meditating will roll into speaking, and speaking will roll into living. So these last three things we'll, we'll talk about today, and then next week, hopefully I won't be here. Because that means, yeah, neither Holly, Holly won't be here either. So, because uh, hopefully we'll be in the hospital with our new baby. So, last week, you know, we figured out who are we listening to. And scripture is pretty obvious. You listen to God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the Old Testament confession that everybody, every Old Testament Christian did was, Hear, O Israel. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. Here is the first word. So we listen to God. And then in John, and in, in, in obviously that rolls into the person of Jesus Christ. John 14, 23. John 14 actually is a, is a great chapter on listening and the role of the Holy Spirit in prayer. But um, And then not only do we figure out what, what it, who, who are we listening to, but what is he or she. I Hopefully I changed that on yours. Uh, what is he saying? He's saying, Exodus 3.14, I am God, and this is what I do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So that's what he's saying. He's saying who he is and what he does. Again, as we, as we listen to what God says about himself, and what he does, it's not an abstraction. So when he says, I am he, I am God, 
that word is an action word. I am the God who saves. I'm the God who justifies. He's just not a static being. He's the one who does. So, um, and he always does not for himself, but for others. So when we listen to what he's saying, that directly involves us. Okay. So meditating. Meditating is wrestling with what God says about himself, what he says about us, and our place in the world. Uh, we're going to finish with our biblical text, but uh, before we get to that, I just want to run through. Some. So part of prayer is listening to what God says about us. And when God starts talking about us, we have to acknowledge who we are, which is a very difficult thing, I think, for the average person. Because you, you know we live in denial. I don't know if you knew that. Every person lives in denial. <laughs> which is kind of a trick question, because if you, you say, no, I don't, then you live in denial. <laughs> Terrible. It's a trick. <laughs> um, so the quote from Ian Morgan Cron is very important. Part of the price of being whole. Now, being whole, I would premise, is part of praying. Is welcoming home the prodigal pain. My hope is in it. People own their story in its fullness. Because when you own or welcome your entire story, not only are you welcoming the pain, but you're also welcoming the God who heals your pain, who saves you. Um, So you can't enter into that conversation in denial. You can't enter into that conversation in prayer with holding back. You are being completely open to what God is doing. Some of us, I, I, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. I've got to wrestle with that. I've got to say, wait a second, I'm not quite sure that I like that idea. I kind of like God as a vending machine, you know, cosmic vending machine, because, man, I don't have to reveal anything about myself because he's there to do what I want. So, um, but hopefully last week we kind of put that thought to, it, to rest. So there's a great story. There's a great Jewish uh, story about two rabbis who are walking in the park and they're arguing over a biblical passage. And this argument is going on for 20 years. Finally, God up in heaven is sick and tired of listening to this argument. He kind of talks with the angels and the angel says, why don't you just go down there and tell them what it means? So he meets these two rabbis in the garden and he says, I'm tired of hearing you guys argue over this biblical passage. I'm going to tell you what this means. And just before he's about to reveal what it means, these two rabbis who, are in, who have been arguing for 20 years now in a moment of unity turn to God and says, what gives you the right to tell us what this means? <laughs> um, the, the whole notion is that you know, if we find out what this means, this is going to satisfy everything that we have been wrestling with. But in actuality, what we find out is that maybe what's the most important thing? When we pray together in, in community, like the two rabbis, what's most important? They share a tradition, they share a community, and what is happening now is that their relationship is being worked out. They're wrestling with who they are, to each other, to God, and then 
as as a as a uh, a whole. And I think that's part of prayer. Prayer involves wrestling with God, and oftentimes we expect an answer from God, and sometimes we don't get. We have silence in the back, and we have to wrestle with that. We often find out, though, is that, is that, does that mean that's not an answer? Is God not listening? Well, maybe he, he is listening, but he's just simply mum. And does that mean that God doesn't love us? Does that mean, what's happening here? So we have to struggle with that. And we'll find out that, that that's actually the biblical testimony. We'll find out that's just what happens. <laughs> um, that actually happens with Jesus. But it also happens with people in the Old Testament, where they pray and they are asking for an answer, and they actually, their answer is, is what they don't expect. It's an unexpected answer. Part of the thing, too, about wrestling with what God is saying, or the conversation, also relates to art. Um, my favorite piece of art is The Supper at Emmaus by Michelangelo Caravaggio. It was at the Chicago Art Institute a couple years ago. Loved it. But one of the great things about that piece of artwork is every time I go to it, there's something new I see. Now that could be because my eyes are blind and I happen to notice something new. But I think often the case, the reason why it says something new to me is because of whatever I'm bringing to it. So there's, there's certain things in our life where we, we come to it and something new happens. could be your vacation spot that you go to every year and you have a wonderful and glorious experience or you have a terrible experience. But what you bring to that moment is often what has to be wrestled with. So, like the, the Supper at Emmaus, you know, whatever I'm dealing with on the inside oftentimes is what is most impactful with that piece of art. I think that's what happens in prayer. It often comes to prayer, well actually to be honest, I, I was thinking about this uh, when we prayed our morning prayer this morning. I thank you my Heavenly Father. We say that prayer every week. and Some of us say it every day. But yet for some reason it meant more to me today than it's done in the past. That's for me to know and you to find out. All right. But that happens. I, hopefully, we have experiences like this in our lives. I think this is in every common occurrence. Another aspect of prayer, too, is the child. Uh, there's a poem here, Song of Childhood, by Peter Handke. It's a German poem. But this is as quoted in Wings of Desire. All right? Wings of Desire. Anybody ever heard of that? That is a movie. That's a film, a German film by Vin Vendors. Unfortunately, Mary Freire is not is is is, uh, is not here to uh, recommend that. She wouldn't. Karen, have you seen The Wings of Desire? Oh, it's uh, the the uh, actual title in German is um, The Sky Over Berlin, but most people don't look at. Look it up under the German name. Joanne, you've seen this movie too, I believe. You might have fallen asleep, though. This is the black and white one with the angels. See, thank you. 
Yes. No, that the Nicolas Cage movie is terrible in a horrible rendition. Well, no, but you could say I would say apples and oranges. They involve angels. Yeah, they involve. Yeah, they both have angels. But if that means, then there's a lot of movies that are just like it. Okay. Anyways, the whole point is, is that a child before it learns to speak is born into a family. It belongs there, and it will always belong there. So as a child enters into this family and learns about the conversation of the family, learns to speak, there's already a, a place for it. And that place is the right place. It belongs there in order to be what the child is meant to be. So we have to find out, is a, uh, a child before it speaks is loved, that's very important because I think if a child is not loved, then actually the child has a tough time learning to speak. I think that we all know that, right? If, if you don't speak to a child, a, a child won't speak back. Just re- That's right. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that in the news, but um, children, the research was found out that children actually speak by watching lips. Now, you probably have experienced that in your own life. You probably didn't need a doctor to tell you that. But, um, but now we proved it. That's right. So what we find out, though, is how, does a, how could a child read lips if a child is not, what, picked up and, and brought close? Yeah, exactly. So which goes back to the quote, I think, at the end of uh, last week's handout, um, the soft gaze between a mother and a child. So a child is silent and then listens or watches and then begins to wrestle with what's being said. And now the wrestling actually happens all the way up to adulthood. I mean, Kirby's in the midst of this. Lisa, you, you've kind of maybe, you've, I don't know, maybe of coming to the tail end of this as grown children, is that as children grow up, they learn to speak, they learn to say these little things that you say, and you're kind of like, ooh, i got to watch what I say. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and then, and exactly. So then, as they get into their teenage years, they say, this is what mom and dad has said, i.e. also believe. I don't know if I want to do it that way. So they're wrestling with who they are in the community. And then usually by young adulthood, they say, okay, this is what my parents have done. That's pretty cool. This is what my parents also have not done. I want to do that, so I'm not going to be like them. Or this is what my parents have done, and I do not want to do that. But at the end of it, they kind of come out of it kind of, kind of like you guys, but kind of not like you guys, for better or for worse. And, um, and that's when then they start saying, this is... This is who I am. I am Marcus, son of James, grandson of Stanley. <laughs> but it, it really took me decades to figure out that's who I am. And there's a lot of struggles in it, and I'm sure as parents we've all seen our children struggle with these things. Um, and obviously as children we've, we've struggled with them ourselves. So the child is a paradigm for, for prayer. For children are first welcomed. Actually, they, they, I 
put these in the wrong order, but order, what does that matter? Um, they're welcomed, they're loved, they fight, they wrestle, and then they love back. Uh, and they don't necessarily always go in that order. But So if you read scripture and see when people are talking to God, you see this. You see this paradigm. As children of God, they are welcomed into the community. They have a place. This is who they are as a child of God in, the, in this community. Then they wrestle with God. They fight with God. They cry out. That was uh, Psalm 40 this morning, where when we read the scripture, Psalm 40 is a great thing, because he says, you know, the psalmist says, I cry out to you from the miry clay or the miry pit. You too. You too, the rock band, right, made the Psalm 40 a very famous psalm because they did their own rendition of it. <laughs> um, so the psalmist actually uh, exhibits what we talk about. He's already, he's already as a, he already is a child of God, hence he cries out to God. And he's wrestling with the fact that he is in the miry play, clay, he's in the pet. He's kind of like, you know, I don't, this is not right. Get me out of here, please. Um, and he does that because he knows he's been loved. And then, what at the? I didn't read the whole psalm in this morning's uh, prayer, but I read half of it. And then it ends up in a song of praise. I will, I will praise you. So let's turn to Genesis 32. Hopefully, this is resonating. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one who kind of, all I know is what I know, so that's what all we can talk about. Genesis 32, and we'll start at uh, whatever I wrote down, verse 22. Yes. You guys probably, I don't know, if you guys, I know, uh, I know Mary Caesar has heard this before. Maybe my wife. But um, this is a paradigm of prayer. Jacob wrestling with God. And we'll, find, we'll, we'll take a look at this. The same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. The Jabbok is a river. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose about, about upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. 
Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So, uh, this is a paradigm of prayer. Jacob finds a spot where he is alone. He is, when you're alone, you, you don't have anyone to talk to. Oh yeah, right. So let me, let's talk about the geography and, and what comes up. Jacob is uh, f- uh, fleeing from Esau. You guys hopefully know all the story about Jacob and Esau. When we first find out Jacob, who does he pretend to be? Esau. Remember when we started this conversation, you, you, you have to be comfortable owning your story. Jacob has a tendency to not own his story, but take somebody else's story. Well, that doesn't make it right, though. Okay. Jacob, Jacob is full. Of, but, now, but the thing is, though, is that Jacob, in his name itself, right? I mean, he's a he's one of deceit. He cheats. Uh, most people, if we have a past like that, we kind of, you know, just put that behind us, you know. We don't, we don't really like to talk about that. But, so that, and that's what Jacob does. I mean, he says, hey, I want to be Esau. And he swindles the birthright. So Jacob is not too, ha- or uh, Esau is not too happy. Holds a grudge. Well, exactly. Thank you. Yeah, Jacob was not too happy in the be- or uh, Esau was not too happy in the beginning. But what, what's great though is Jacob is fleeing Esau because Jacob thinks that Esau is out for his life. So he's scared. He crosses the river Jabbok. Crossing rivers in the Old Testament carry a very important meaning. Israel crosses the river Jordan to enter into the promised land, a whole new existence. So this is the paradigm that we already are are following along here in Genesis 32, is that Jacob crosses the river and is about to enter into a new existence. His past and everything that's involved in it, pretending he's other people, cheating, whatever, he brings into this moment where he is alone. He is afraid. And he's silent. I mean, he's silent. He's, he's by himself with his thoughts and whatever else is going on there. And most of us, that's why we don't like being silent. We like to put the iPod in our ears because we don't want to hear our own thoughts because oftentimes they condemn us. We want to live in Denial. But at this moment, Jacob can't do anything about that, can he? Because God is in his face, literally. He's wrestling with God. He's wrestling with what God has in store for him. Well, we don't, we don't know that right away, but we find that out. So Jacob is silent, listening, and now is wrestling with what God is going to do with him. And what does God do with him? He gives him a whole new name, a whole new existence. He's the one who struggles. So that, that's who he is. He's the one who struggles. 
And who does he struggle with? God and man. So what's interesting is that as we enter into prayer, we often are thinking now that this is going to be a moment that our whatever is going to be satisfied. But in fact, what, what does Jacob receive? He does receive something that actually he's, he desires and he needs. He needs a whole new existence. He needs a whole new way of living. But it's definitely not what most of us would consider as being a better alternative. He goes from cheating and deceiving to now struggling, <laughs> to, uh, to wrestling. But this is the identity that God has given him, which I think most of us want to be in that spot. We want to be in the spot where God wants us to be and be who God wants us to be. So even though it is a struggle to be the one who struggles, it's exactly where God has promised, where God is giving his promises out. Now, what's, what's interesting, too, though, is that moment of wrestling changes the rest of his life, not only in his name, but also in how he lives, specifically in the fact that now he has a limp. There will not be a time in his life where he won't be attached to that moment. Because <laughs> he's, he's limping, he can't, he can't do what he once did. So he is struggling now, even through life. Holly. Um, struggling. Uh, yeah, sort of. Blessing now in the Old Testament means, just like what happens in the benediction, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. Blessing comes, uh, the Lord make his face shine on you. That's part of blessing. The Lord looking upon Jacob now as, since we're mainly women here, uh, as, as a mother would look at, at, at her child. That's what happens when God blesses you. You pick up your child, right? Dads do this too, but I mean, I think. Um, and they look at, at him and they smile. And what does the child do? Smiles back. This is what's happening now is that there is a moment now that God is looking upon Jacob with a smile, even though he has a struggle. I think you as parents and as people, I mean, just as sons and daughters, when your child is going through a struggle, you try to make it better, right? And part of making it better is simply saying, is, is, is smiling. I mean, it's just, it's just giving a, a smile. So, um, so that's part of the blessing that's happening. God now has this, this, well, he's always had this relationship with Jacob. Jacob hasn't necessarily realized it, but now he's entering into it. Um, another aspect of the blessing, too, though, is the name. So when God blesses you, he not only looks at you, but he brings himself into your midst. He has a place in you or with you. So that's part of the blessing. So now that um, Jacob is leaving this moment, right? At the, it's at nighttime too, right? So there carries a lot of symbolic meaning at the nighttime. The dawning of the new day, Jacob has a new name, a new identity, and God is always with him. And now, how does, how does Jacob know that God's always with him? In the what? In the limp. He has been touched by God. 
And that, that is very important. Lindsay. Right. This is where the struggle and the wrestling goes. Because, let me see here. Let me, if I wrote this down. I just want to make sure that I don't repeat myself over and over again, which I, have a, I do. Okay, good. Remember what we talked about last week. When we enter into this relationship, we have a decision to make that God's good is always gooder than our good. I don't. I say that on purpose, by the way. Gooder. Um, well, you you have a burden to bear, and it's me. Um, so what we find out, though, is is that Jacob walks with the limp, and we struggle with the fact: is this is something? Is this bad or good? And sometimes we don't know. Well, yes and no. So, for instance, yeah, I heard somebody say Paul. Paul had this thorn in his side, and he repeatedly asked God to take it away. And God's response was, no. My grace is sufficient for you. Which obviously is is true, right? I mean, we all say, hey, God's grace is good, right? I mean, we love God's grace. I don't like that kind of grace, though, where I got a thorn in my side. But this is what God has said. So we have an element of faith and trust to say there's a larger conversation going on here, there's a bigger story going on here, and I don't understand it quite yet. However, that, that is a very tough statement to say anyways. And I, th- what the great thing is, is God will never be offended. So when you say, God, you suck, God's like, okay. That's what the psalm, I mean, this is, this is what the psalm, I, we read in the psalm, well, I, didn't re- I guess I didn't read the whole thing, but, um, well, actually, I wanted to read Psalm 25, but it was way too long. But there's an element of, of God, you suck in it. This is PG, by the way, right? PG-13. Yeah. Um, the psalmist says, I cried out to you, man. And so, um, I think as parents, we probably have had our children say that to us, too. Dad, you're a bad dad. Yes. Um, I hate you. Man, that I can't stand that as a parent. But we as a parent are the guarantee of love. We are the we are the, the picture of God. God's relationship to us, we are the picture to our children. So even when our children say you you suck, we we say Yeah, or or we say, Okay, yeah, I might, but you know what? I'm still right on this one. Or or whatever. So this is the thing now, Lindsay, is that this is this is the kind I mean, these are all analogies and symbols and you know, we kind of we can see the big picture compared to our children, but when we are to God, we we really would like to see the whole picture all at once. But we we can't actually. We we struggle with the whole picture. That's the thing. We don't know. Yeah, but we can speculate, and I think I think our speculation always 
draws to the, the positive, like saying, yeah, Jacob needed a reminder. Or we could say he needed a limp because he needed to depend upon God for the rest of his life. And, and if, he, if he didn't have a limp, then he would trust in himself so much. Okay, maybe, but we don't know. We can't say that. I mean, I can't say that for certain. Right. I mean, I, I think we have all had all those experiences in our life. But, but that's the thing, though, is that a, a two-by-four up the side of the head by God means that God is there. God actually is present. He is with you. That's why I, th- I think the, the two-by-four upside the head is better than the silent treatment because we don't know if he's listening, which then requires even a more element of faith. So, yeah. Holly. So I've, 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 I've skated around your, your, your question. I don't, I don't know why he hurts us or allows a pain to happen. Right. Oh, yeah. Right, because frankly, we do screw up. That kind of sovereign no. knowledge to what? Not completely. Not like God does. Right, like so. that's what I'm saying about the big picture, is that it, we can see a picture this big, and our kids only see this big. So then we can say, oh, it'll cause you a little pain, no big deal, don't worry, you'll get over it. <laughs> but in the absolute sense, that's where Holly's right. I mean, we just, we don't have that kind of understanding. All right, we had Penny over here, Mary, Lisa. Right. Sure. Oh, yes. The bedtime. You know, yeah, I mean, the speculations are endless about the, the hurt. Oh, it is very deliberate. Right. Right. That's right. I, th- I think I think maybe in certain instances you probably do. Like so, for instance, like I, somebody said, curfew. So when you enforce the curfew and your kid is, you know, why does it have to be twelve? Why can't it be one? Or why does it have to be ten? Or not eleven? And you say, you know what? It's you're more deliberate in those circumstances. Usually, though, so there's moments of wrestling that you actually anticipate. Like you know, like you know you're going to have this. It's sometimes unless your kid is very unusual. Your kid will say, your child will say, I don't like this curfew. I would like to, you know, push it back a little bit. Okay. But then there's other circumstances, usually in the, moment, the heat of the moment, where, yeah, you don't think that way at all. And it's, you do your best. Lisa. Yes. Okay. I, I actually think he might intentionally harm you, but. I know a lot of people don't like to hear that. It does create a lot of conundrums. Yeah, right. You didn't punch him in the face. Right, 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 right. Yep. Now, touch is not a strong word, by the way. Okay. Yeah, no, the actual, see, now, this, actually, uh, Lisa, you bring up one of the, the kind of the old uh, interpretations here of this, is that if God did not touch his hip, 
Because there's only one way to go when he's got a bum leg. He can't go back. He can't go back over the river to enter into that old life. The whole thing was is that so that in that struggle, God's keeping him from entering back into the old life. And it comes to the dawning of the new day, God just basically is is doing what he had already started at you know in the nighttime. But he's making this happen for sure. Now he has a bum leg, he can't cross the river anymore. He must go on. He must enter into that new. So yeah, well so prayer is a very peculiar thing. And this is this this demonstrates kind of how prayer is a time of wrestling and discussion with God. It's a conversation that we we have with God and that um, sometimes when we think we're done with the conversation, we actually aren't. Let's keep going. Let's keep talking. You know, which for me, you know, I'm, I'm, after five minutes of conversation, I'm like, you know, after after women's Bible study, I'll, I'll, I'll go upstairs and, yes. <laughs> Maybe a little quiet time. I uh, and I and most of the times I I try my best to do the uh, shut-in visits in the afternoon because, um, well, yeah, because it's at the end of the day and when it's at the end of the day, then I can just go home. I don't have to come back here to do more work. I can just go home because I need some time. All right, so. So I think this story really epitomizes the meditation, wrestling with God, figuring out what in the world is God doing with me, with my future, and his own relationship with him. That's another thing, too, is that, what, what is Jacob? I forgot to mention that. God, uh, Jacob says, who are you? Tell me your name. And God says, why are you, don't, why are you asking? So uh, that, that's another level of struggling with uh, prayer. Sometimes we want to know more about who God is, and he's not willing to tell us. Carol. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, a long, it's a long deal. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, this is where, you know, Jacob is a, is a, I mean, that's why he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is Jacob does, even for all his Deceit. He still has a he has a great thing to, to emulate. Yes. Yeah. Right. But see, that's the good thing, though. That that's positive and negative because it's positive in the sense that he did not give up. He was willing to wrestle with God until God was just all right already. So. Yes, that's, that's a positive or negative. Uh, Barb. Um, because that's what the Bible says. We don't know what's inside Jacob's head, so I don't know. This goes with the conversation. So, yeah, we don't know. So this is where, well, hey, I'll finish your question, because this goes with the temptation of Jesus, too. Uh, Beth, what were you going to say? Yeah, go ahead. Right. Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, right. (laughs) 
very enlightening. It's interesting how children actually uh, reveal reveal a lot about ourselves. That's right, exactly. Um, okay, now Barb, your your question is a very good question, and I didn't put it in here, but the temptation of Jesus is very helpful for us in terms of how we. Okay, so remember our conversation. Prayer is a conversation with God. We talk with God. We talk to God. He talks to us. And if we're listening intently, that helps us with our, the conversation. So that when we have a, 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 an outside voice come into that conversation, we're able to say, that's, that's not what we're talking about. So whether it's a false teacher, you know, whatever, or Satan himself, we can say, no, thank you. What's very interesting in the temptation of Jesus is what does he, what does, what does Satan tempt Jesus with, actually? What does he use? Yeah, scripture, God's word. So not only are we listening to the words themselves, but we're listening to the conversation, like the entire thing. What is the purpose of this? Words are not isolated, but they are part of a framework, a structure, a story. So, now we did this with the conversation. Uh, confirmation kids is that we actually had this because in the speaking section of the prayer of learning to pray we, 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 we say what's been said to us but that's not just the words themselves but how they're used so Satan comes into Jesus and says you know he quotes scripture at Jesus and Jesus now quotes scripture back but obviously correctly but that's Jesus can do that because he knows the conversation, obviously. I mean, Jesus is Jesus at this point, but he's a human being. And especially in the Gospel of Luke, we have this picture from the beginning, right? He's been part of his father's business or his father's house when he's a young boy. So we know he's an astute listener of God's word. So yeah, but that's part of the temptation is that it sounds like God's word is being spoken, but who do we listen to? So yeah, that's that's, that's right. We don't we don't always know. Sometimes we sometimes we listen to the wrong voices. No, 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 no. Yeah, right. I, yeah, because I mean, that that doesn't uh, that that goes outside the bounds of what the word means. Bless. So you would have to you would have to. Use it in a way that's not used according to the, what the Bible says. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know, it just doesn't say. But that's the fun thing about the Bible. Is that, you know, that's why we got to keep reading it. Oh, microphone fill. All right, so now we get to the speaking part. And I, uh, you know, Kirby brought this up last week. So she was ahead of the game. Is uh, I'm quoting now Norman Nagel. I couldn't find the other one. This is actually in his related to worship. Our Lord speak and we listen. His word bestows what it says. Faith that is born from what is heard acknowledges the gifts received with eager thankfulness and praise. Which those are all elements of, of prayer. Saying back to him what he has said to us, we repeat what is most true and sure. So that's that. You know that's what we want in prayer, right? Is we want something that's certain or true, true and sure. Uh, so we can repeat back to what God has said to us. That's like the Lord's Prayer, Luther's morning, evening prayers, the Psalms. Then we can paraphrase. That's repeating back with thinking, <laughs> uh, thinking about what he's saying. 
and then also we have ref reflecting. Um, reflecting in two ways, meaning that we are like a mirror and we, we, we kind of reflect God's goodness, glory, truth. And then we also have inward reflection. You know, I'm reflecting upon what God has said. Well, actually, I, I was going to say, now, if, if, if uh, we'll probably do this later. Uh, I don't know if Pastor Brzezik will do it, but, like, after our readings in the chapel, uh, we should probably enforce a time of silence so that we reflect on God's word in prayer. Prayer, and this is, uh, I'm, pr I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure we'll talk about this at some time, Prayer is not only, like I said, it's not only holding our hands, closing our eyes, but it's a way of life. It's, it's, a, it's a way of being. That's when Paul says, you know, pray continually. How does that actually happen? So that's how you do it in a prayer, is that when you are reflecting upon what God has said, you're reflecting these things, reflection, that's, that's, that's part of speaking back to God. So what you're saying is, that would be a sign of reflection. Inward, yeah, inwardly digesting, that's, that's one of my favorite things. We got someone at the door who wants to come in. All right. Pink ponies and the right expectation. Oftentimes we enter into the conversation asking for pink ponies, and when we do not get pink ponies, we suffer for something we don't even know what we're talking about. Uh, what I do with the confirmation kids is uh, I have an adult leader and I, we start talking about, uh, two adult leaders who, who start talking about cars. We pretend one got a new one, and you know they, they start talking about cars. And then I, I enter into the conversation Talking about pink ponies. And all the kids laugh and ho 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 ho. But oftentimes that's what we do in prayer. God God is talking about this over here, and we enter into this conversation asking for money or whatever. And and we think this is part of the conversation, but it's not. And how we learn that now now this this is not to like say, hey, you know, we're we're dummies. This is actually, this again, let's go back to children. Sometimes, you know, you and your spouse are talking, and then the kid, your, your child will come in and interrupt you guys. You say, wait one second, mommy and daddy are talking. Or you say, oh, that's nice, that's nice. But they've entered into that conversation talking about pink ponies. We, as parents, have to now set them right. But... Um, Right now it's video games with Isaac. I've done something terrible. So he will enter into the conversation asking for video games all the time. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how long that goes. i got to think of something to distract him. Um, but that's just the thing. So, so when I say no to him, you know, because it's like in the morning. I mean, it's like all times. He has the wrong expectations. So is what we pray part of the conversation that God started at the beginning of the time? That goes with listening. So we learn this. This is all part of learning to pray, praying while we actually are praying. 
Um, what we find out in Luke chapter 11, 1 through 13, we don't have enough time to look at it, but God wants us to join in the conversation. So when Isaac comes into the conversation, do I, am I upset that he enters into a conversation with me? No. I love it. I, I like it when my children talk to me. <laughs> I remember my parents telling me how sad they were when I didn't talk to them. So now I cherish my, as best as I can every moment that they say something to me. Because I know there will come a point in time when they won't. And does God care what we say? Yes, of course. Luke 11, 1 through 13 is when the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray like John's disciples. Jesus says, say this. And then he gives this great parable about, you know, um, you know who, who, who of you, when your son asks for, um, uh, it's like an egg. I get these mixed up. Matthew and, and Luke get it all mixed up. I mean, they, they have different ways of saying it. But, you know, we're not going to give them a scorpion or we're not going to give them a, a serpent. So we care and we want them to join in the conversation. But what Jesus, the great thing at the end is the, 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 the answer to is God's good, gooder than our good, is that he says, so you who know how to give gifts, how much will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? Which is different than the Matthew account. Matthew will say good gifts. But Luke gives it very specific, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the gift of, of all gifts. Because the Holy Spirit will give God's presence to you. And if we look at John 14 too, the Holy Spirit will remind you what Jesus has said. So when we pray... Um, according to, to what the Holy Spirit says, our expectations are right, are good. Holly. Uh, I've always liked that passage about giving you the Holy Spirit. Because right. You're asking for something else. And yeah, right. And then God and gives God you what's best. You and says, this is what you need. Yep. Yep, he, he does it. Now, sometimes uh, all the kids, obviously, like if you think like a junior higher, the junior say, well, what if I'm in a circumstance where a pink pony, like what if I'm kidnapped and I, I've actually heard that before, and, and, and the ransom is a pink pony, then should I, can I pray for pink ponies? Right. When you're not, yeah, in the midst of pain, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yep, absolutely. I know. Well, yeah, that's why we, we uh, that's exactly right. I'm sorry? That, that's exactly right. That's why we need to be careful when we talk about. Uh, like having a like better or like even when we use the word happier or or even more joy we we say these things without actually knowing what we're saying because like for instance now i mean job is actually job is part of this conversation with about prayer job chapter 34 when job job finally just says man what yeah what is your problem <laughs> And, and, and God says something to him, and then, and, then, and then Job says, I've said one thing, and I've said another, but now I will be quiet. 
And then God just starts un, just unleashing this stuff that actually, even in the struggles of what Job has, God has done these things. Right. So, so the thing is, is that um, we think we know what life is, for, for better or for worse. And what we realize is when we come into these relationships with people, we find out how bad life could be for us. But even for them, it, it could still be. That's where that's where we actually try. And we 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 struggle with our place in this world, and we have to ask ourselves. So, but that's the thing though is that it goes back to like God. God is never offended. So we we that's part of God's conversation with us is that we say, "Man, what what is your problem?" Um, yeah, exactly. That's that's where we don't, like as friends. What do we do with that? Right. Yeah, that's where that's where sometimes prayer is too deep for words. We mentioned that last night, Romans eight twenty six. Um, so sometimes when we're in those moments, what do we pray? What do we say? We say nothing. And as as a as a person, as a friend, or relate someone who has a relationship with that person, what do we say? Sometimes we. So, so not only does that person say nothing to God because they don't know what to say, we don't say anything either because we are simply present. We're just there. And one of the great things is is that, um, like for instance, Job. Let's just use Job rather than your friend. Uh, Job. What is he? He thinks he's he's by himself in the world, and he's talking to his friends and all that, and they all have this. You know, they're all quick to give an answer. That one of the, the sad, most sad things about that story is not actually what happens to him, but is his friend's response to to what Job goes through. Job just, I think he just needs someone to sit next to him. Uh, there's a Jewish tradition, I forgot what it's called, um, where if the family, someone dies, Shiva, thank you. They just come over and they sit. That's perfect. That is that is that is a community a lot a Christian community living out prayer because we are together. We are that that it was a quote from last week. The sign of the resurrection is when a community can spend silence in spend time together in silence because we don't know what to say. Maybe because there's nothing to say. And we just simply sit there and we wait. I waited patiently for the Lord. You know, that's Psalm 40 again. So, okay. And that's it. That's good. Sometimes that's that's all we need to do. And Yeah, okay. Well, there's a variety of things we could say to, to what Kirby just said, but we're five minutes over. I just want to mention one last thing, because Jesus goes through this in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's, the, that's another paradigm of faith. So, anywho, when we speak, though, so God wants us to join in the conversation, and then when we speak, who do we become like? We become like God. We are participating in the conversation. We are giving life. God God gives life through the speaking. And so as we, as we pray, as we, we speak back to God, we are experiencing the life-giving word. I wrote that last little part quickly, so hopefully that makes sense. But 
Um, prayer does not end at the amen. Prayer continues on in one's life because we become embodiment of the word. But another day. All right, thanks for coming. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.